Welcome to the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and this week I'm joined by LaBelle Jackson. This week, again, we got about five or six topics that we're going to discuss. We're going to recap some fights, and then we're also going to predict uh, one or two fights as well. Before we get started, Vail, um, you know, obviously, you know, as I stated, it's me and Vail this week. Daddy's going to be out. But, Vail, I got a quick question for you. Um, it's an important question as well. Mm-hmm. Donda or certified lover boy? Kanye or Drake? <laughs> I'll say this. I'm a bigger fan of Kanye. I'm not a huge fan of Drake. I, I think overall Drake album might have been better a little bit. But at the same time, you know, you can't go wrong with Kanye and, and Dre, Dre Stacks. So I, I just off that song alone, which I think was leak, <laughs> uh, I give it to Kanye. Well, it, uh, you know what, Drake, I put it on because overall, I think Drake did a better job. He's more official. But mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big fan of, of this current Kanye, nor am I a fan of, of this current Drake. So, you know. Yeah, I just think Drake, he gives you what he Drake is going to give you each and every time. He's a lot more consistent than Kanye West is. Kanye, you don't know if he's going to give you, like, heartbreaks and 808s or if he's going to give you, like, a gospel album. And as far as these two pieces of music that they produced and put out, I think, honestly, this might be Drake's best work. Like, I'll listen to it. That's one of the first CDs that he's made that I can pretty much listen to it all the way through. It's just, it's rather lengthy. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's some good quality work. It's nothing in there that I would just necessarily have to skip. As far as Donda, trash, bro. I, like, I don't Here's the thing with, with Kanye's. But again, Kanye is a producer that you might have to listen to it multiple times before you can actually... Uh, understand where he's going with something. He might just be a little bit ahead of his time. That's being kind to him. But just on, it's, it's going to be hard for me to listen to it again. Um, and by the time I made it to like the fourth, fifth song, I just was listening to the beginning of the song. And then I skipped to the next one because I just didn't have time to listen to all of that stuff that uh, was in the music. And then the other thing that I want to say is that when I listen to both um, CDs, Drake, it seems like the people that he had on there, the features, it seemed like they had a rapport and a chemistry with each other. Like they were sitting, chilling, kicking it. They was in the same place and they vibing out to what it is that they created. As opposed to Kanye's, it sounded like he just got like a 16 from this person, a 16 from he's just piecing it together. And it seemed like they didn't have that camaraderie and chemistry. So I don't know. I just think Trey, he put out a, a masterpiece to me as far as what he brings to the table. Yeah, you said it. Drake is is more consistent. He doesn't he doesn't have um, he doesn't change too much. Like from from an artistic standpoint, Kanye is one of those guys that, that just wants his freedom to do what he, as he pleased, and and I, of course I respect that. But it, it it causes too many like drastic changes in your artistry, you know, and and. And and people who are fans of you, it's like you can't. It's okay to evolve and change, but to change too much and go to different sides of the spectrum, sometimes people are like they can get thrown off, and it can take them a minute to catch up. 
Like, and you know, I it took me a minute to like 808 and Heartbreak. You know, I was, you know, the the first two album Kanye fan, you know, so it take me a while to catch up to him. But you know, yeah. props to him. He do what he does. You know, he's still around, he's relevant. Um yeah, you know, props to shout out to you know Kanye and shout out to, to Drake. Drake's always been consistent. He's always putting out product. Um, um, a lot of people kind of hate on him, but at the same time, no one can be as consistent as he is right now at this point. Yeah, you know, again, shout out to them. I mean, I think Kanye they say a billionaire, so all of those type of things. I'm just critiquing what I hear. You know what I'm saying? But as far as his success, I, I would never. Um, negate uh, any of that. I just think nowadays we are in a, you know, I don't want to go too much into this because we got a lot of Boston topics we want to discuss, but I just think now more so um, than ever, you have people who are famous and people support them. Like they got followers and followers don't want you to not be successful. So they're going to support your music. And we're in an era now that like uh, drama and stuff like that, it sells. So you can come out and be like, uh, me and Kim is about to get a divorce. And then people would like, they're interested. Like they glued to see, okay, what is he going to come out with? Is he going to say anything about her in the songs and all of that type of stuff as opposed to the work? I remember, man, I went to a, um, I went to a Beyonce concert and it was in, uh, I was, I was hanging with this lady. She went, actually went to the concert in Houston and, I went to the concert. So we were traveling to, uh, I, I lived in Dallas at the time. We went to go see Beyonce. She went with her friend in Houston to see her perform there because they say she put on her best show for her hometown. And then we went to San Antonio. And then that Monday we came back and she did her show in Dallas. So me and her went to the show in Dallas. Now I'm seeing people in the crowd. They just like, can't get enough of this show. But it was more so little stuff like when she would change her wardrobe and they'd be like, yay, yay. And I'm used to like a concert when somebody throwing down, Parliament, Funkadelic, Luther Van, you know what I'm saying? Like, you're not worried about that type of stuff. And so I just think now people are more so interested in the person and people and, you know, as opposed to like the quality of work that they produce. But again, I don't really want to keep going this far deep into this conversation, but I certainly appreciate um, your response, my brother. But if we're going to get off into these topics today, uh, how about we start, you know, and I know I said that we talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing, but we had an event last week on Sunday, which was a pretty huge event, nice card that was put together. And it was that Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley show. Um, do you want to, you got any words about that? You want to talk about that a little bit before we get started about this week's um, sh- topics? Uh, sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not even mad about it. You know, it was an event. I know I was kind of harsh on it when we first talked about it. But truth be told, when I watched it, it wasn't that bad of a fight that I thought it was going to be. You know, I, I expected it to be a little more sloppier, you know. Uh, and shout out to Jake Paul. You know, even though he's a YouTuber, you know, he, when he gets in the heat, when he gets in that ring, he's serious about training. He's serious about his his craft. And, and we also have to remember, he isn't a professional fighter. I mean, he's officially professional, but he isn't someone who's been doing this his entire life, someone who does this, you know, full time. And that's all he dedicates himself to. And when you, when you look, look at it through those lenses, 
I, you know, I can be, a, I can find myself be a little impressed with him. But you know, he's four and oh, three knockouts. You know, he's a tall six foot one, pretty much a cruiserweight by one ninety, and he's uh, taking on Tyron Woodley, uh, who is a uh, MMA legend, um, five foot nine, one hundred seventy pounds. He fought at uh, the welterweight at the MMA level, which is one hundred seventy pounds. So there was already a, a size discrepancy there. You know, I want a size difference. And Tyron Woodley, his style is mostly, you know, wrestling and Brazilian uh, jiu-jitsu. You know, he, he he's more so a pound ground pound and ground wrestler than he is, you know, a striker. And in the ring with with uh, Jake Paul, I did like how uh, Woodley was pressuring Paul. You know, he did pressure him the the, the most of the fight. Um, and trying to let his hands go, I did think Paul did a good job of being a moving target and moving around and moving a lot. Of course, Willie caught him with that, that, that right hand in the fourth round, which really hurt uh, Paul like it was going to – like he always went through the ropes, but that's more so from his positioning. Uh, but other than that, um, Willie was really trying to, like, put it together and, and chase uh, Jake Paul down. Um, but he couldn't really do that. And, and I also think that Jake Paul, when you look at his, the opponents that he select outside of, of the YouTubers, you know, like, even when you look at the Nate Paul, the, uh, the uh, Nate Robinson fight, you know, the knockouts stuff like that, these are guys who don't have the length. So he, he, his game is using that movement, using the, his length to keep him away from him. So I do think as, as soon as he fought, fight uh, a similar level guy who is like his size, like his length and stuff like that, that he, he will get beat. If he fights, so even uh, I say, uh, MMA guy like Tyron Woodley, get, who's about his size, getting the ring with him, I think they they're likely to beat him. So, uh, but shout out to him, you know, he made his money. Um, of course, you know, I'm not the you know the biggest fan of, of, of you know these type of fights, but but I can't even be mad. You know, it, it, it looked when I was just watched the fight. If I would turn on the fight and didn't know any of their names, just watched it. It would look like a normal boxing match. It didn't really look like as sloppy as I thought it was going to look. Yeah, that was a really good breakdown as far as what took place during a fight. I thought um, just that build on what you were saying, one thing that um, I noticed about Paul or I noticed in this fight, and I think we all noticed this, is that, you know, Jake finally had – it was the first time that he tasted adversity, you know, in a fight when he got clocked on the ropes uh, when he got hit with that big right hand. And, you know, I, I wanted to see how he was going to respond, you know, once he got into trouble um, like that. And I think, for one, I think that should have been considered a knockdown um, because the ropes did hold him up. And then the other thing um, is that you can tell Woodley, he's just not used to, you know, fighting well, he's not used to boxing. He's more used to fighting. And I'm sure that if he has somebody in trouble in MMA, he probably would have got him out of there, you know, because he can use his feet and everything. But in boxing, he didn't know how to set up more shots in order to get Jake up out of there because Jake was hurt um, pretty bad. And then the second time Jake tasted adversity was in the sixth round uh, when he got dog tired. Like from the sixth to the seventh round, he was really, really fatigued. But he showed a lot of heart. Um, you know, and he, he, he punches hard enough where his opponent, Woodley, in this case, he didn't really want to make himself too vulnerable. 
So he never really like just pressed the issue against Jake because Jake was winging some real hard shots, even though they were kind of wild at that particular time. And then Woodley was tired as well. But one thing I don't like about Woodley is, and you know, again, this is like first real professional fight, is that he just never looks urgent. You know, he just has that same demeanor on his face. And, you know, even like his body language, it just never gets to the point where he's going to force the issue. And I think that in that fourth round, had he pressed the issue, he could have did a lot more damage on Jake had he done so. And I know that, you know, when it was all said and done, he had to be frustrated and upset with himself that he didn't apply the pressure in order to try to um, get Jake out of there. But all in all, I thought it was a pretty good scrap. I think that a rematch is in order. And, um, you know, I'll be tuned into it. Now, I heard some people said, was telling me, or well, one person in particular, he said, man, I watched the fight for free and I still feel cheated out of my money. But <laughs> I, I didn't feel that way. I thought it was a, a pretty good overall event. Anything else you want to add in about that that fight? Yeah, man. Where, where was Snoop Dogg, man? I, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> I wanted to hear Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said that, but you remember it was on Showtime. It wasn't on uh, uh, Twiller. Yeah, thriller. Oh, Triller. Triller is the um, Triller. Triller. Yeah. Yeah, that's what Snoop is. Okay. But shouts out to to those guys. No, I have nothing much. Now moving into. Uh, this week's boxing, we had a, a, a very highly uh, anticipated rematch um, that happened yesterday between uh, Josh Warrington and Mauricio Lara. Uh, you heard us uh, give our predictions um, last week. Did you check that fight out, Will? What were your thoughts on it, on what we are the little fight that there was? Right, right. Yeah, I checked it out. I was looking forward to it, you know, and um, – Actually, the fight was just heating up before it was abruptly stopped with the hit. But but um, the two rounds that they did fight, um, I thought you could tell that Warrington in this fight, when he came out, he was much more calculated than he was in his first fight. He was much more defensively responsible. And in the first two rounds, uh, he just he had his hands up. He had that high guard. And he also had much more intensity going into the fight. Um, as he did, as opposed to the first fight, you know. But from what I saw, you know, like I say, limited amount of action that they had in the first round, I thought it could have went either way. I, I thought it was pretty much an even round where Laura landed the more powerful shots. Both of them had success. Um, and then, like I said, Warren, Warrington was just more calculated in that round. It wasn't nothing to write home about. I thought it was a good start for Warrington based on the fact that you know, he took so much punishment in the last fight. It was a really good start, but I really couldn't give either guy the upper hand. As far as the second round, I actually thought Laura won that round, but that was also the round that you had the head. But Warrington comes in there with his head a lot, you know, and which could cause, and it did cause the the um, head butt in that fight. I just thought Laura in the second round, he was landing a heavier shot. So I gave him the second round, but it was real close. It could have went, um, if I watch it again, I may give it to Warrington. I'm not sure. But again, class of heads, they continued to fight um, after the bell rung, and they were about to enter into the third round. A referee looked at Laura's cut and decided that, you know, he can no longer continue. It was a huge gash, you know, there. So 
it wasn't anything controversial as far as that's concerned. I was glad that they stopped the fight because, you know, he may have been in a situation where he sustained a very serious injury, um, or even much more serious injury. But like I said, the fight was just developing. Um, I think all in all, this right here really benefits Warrington because I think he can dust more of the cobwebs off after taking such a beat down in that last fight. But it also benefits Laura in this sense that, you know, he's a younger fighter, you know what I mean? Another training camp, you know, he can work on a few things and even get a little bit refined, you know, a few more things. And then the other thing is that it's going to guarantee him another big payday, you know, if they are able to um, secure that third bout. And I think both guys want it because they're both disappointed. And, you know, I think each of them wanted to get the answer to the question of whether or not it was going to be a day of redemption or if it was going to be a repeat of their last fight. Um, the last few things that I'm going to say is I think that Warrington, he should take a fight in between the next fight with Laura. I think Laura probably be out, you know, probably six months or so with that huge gash that he has. But I think that, you know, not anybody is talking about um, Galahad. And then Warrington kind of wants Russell. But I think that might be, he might be biting off a little bit more than he can chew. He needs to rewrite the wrong against Laura. I think that more so for, from a confidence standpoint that he needs that. And But in order to be best prepared, he should take a um, just a tune-up fight. Not anything too difficult. Just somebody that he can get some rounds in, work on a few things, and then just build that confidence going into the third fight. Um, the only problem, though, is that, you know, when they do uh, fight again, when they do meet up for that third bout, Warrington's going to be slightly older. You know, he's going to go through a few more camps if he takes another fight. And that's always um, tough wear and tear, especially on a fighter that fights in a manner in which uh, Warrington fights. Last thing I'm going to say is this, is that Eddie Hearn, to me, he sounded delusional in a post-fight interview. He said that Laura, he, he was looking for a way out. And I don't think anywhere in the world Laura was looking for a way out. He wanted, you know, to get in there and let people know that that first fight wasn't a fluke. But I'm looking forward to a third bout. Um, I just wish we could have got more answers yesterday. But shout out to that 20,000 uh, fight fans that were out there in that rugby league stadium out there in Leeds, um, UK. Yeah, that that was an excellent breakdown. Um, yeah, this fight, even though it did go two rounds and, it, you know, the, the, the end it happened, which was anticlimactic, it was a lot of story being told in those first two rounds. Even when you look at their, you know, what was happening, their body language, uh, everything, you know, Warren, like you said, Warren came out. He had that high guard. He, he looked like he was looking in his eyes, like he was ready, you know. And to me, he was winning exchanges with, with Laura in that first round. Uh, but you could see that that Laura was still, you know, trying to counter him, trying to attempt to counter him. And I think it was that was that part was kind of similar to the first fight. So I thought the longer this fights go, I th- I thought that Laura is eventually going to catch him with one of those counters and hurt him again, but. Looking in Warrington's eyes, he looked so ready. He looked so like confident, like I'm gonna prove that this guy shouldn't have beaten me. And he did uh, land this 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 good right hand on uh, Laura in the first round, which I thought slightly you know stopped him in his tracks. Where Laura took a step back and like, oh okay. And his body language, and you look into his eyes, he looked more like, man, let me try to settle into this fight because this guy is not playing. Um, and then the second round, he he uh, settled more into to what he was doing and says, I'm going to stick to the game plan of trying to counter 
uh, warranting. And it looked like it was paying off, you know, before the, the clash of heads. And and even the headbutt when it first happened, it didn't really look like it was that bad. But as you said, when, when, when it went to the corner, it was like a big chunk. And I was like, yeah, this fight needs to be stopped. It's not not going to be uh, positive for any, either the, either the, uh, these guys to go on with this because no one's going to get credit, you know. So I thought it, it was a good stoppage, even though the fans kind of lost out. It, it preserves those fighters a lot more, especially Lara. I mean – this is an accidental clash of heads. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't have Warrington hitting on that cut some more, you know, that don't make a lot of sense. But go, moving along, you brought up a great point. Uh, I think he, Warrington might want to stay busy, but he should not take on a fight. I, I, I think Warrington's at a point where I'm not sure if he's on totally on the downside, but a 31 year old uh, featherweight who fights like Warrington, uh, it has to be a lot of wear and tear there. So um, I would stay away from some some of the the, the, the bigger name welterweights and I'm not welterweight, bigger name featherweights and guys that can possibly give them more trouble and beat them, even though Warrington has a heart of I'll fight anybody. I don't think that's going to be, that's going to work in his favor if he wants to, if he really wants that third fight with Laura because he's going to just take more punishment based on his style and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm not sure even Laura was was looked at as a high-ranked opponent uh, like uh, when they first fought in the first fight. I think even Warrington Mayo overlooked him in, in a way and said, oh, this guy is kind of a tune-up for me to get a uh, bigger fight. So in terms, you could say, you could argue he lost to a tune-up in a, in a way. But, you know, Laura proved, like, I'm not just a pushover. Um, so... Almost like a Marcos Maidana, you know, sometimes people may take on a Marcos Maidana early in his career and say, well, this is just a guy. I remember even when Victor Ortiz fought Marcos Maidana, Maidana wasn't looked at like he, you know, the way he turned out to be. They they looked at him as an opponent that Victor Ortiz should be to beat, you know, and, and Maidana proved himself. And I think Lara's in that same position where he's going to, you know, continue to prove himself. But, yeah, the, the, the longer this goes, the worst is going to get for Warrington because he is 31. He is getting older. And, and sure, he wants to stay on those training camps to keep him busy. But he don't want to one, – one thing he doesn't want to do is overwork himself. But the second time – I mean, number two, he doesn't want to just do nothing and just sit on the shelf. And that's going to be uh, bad for him too. He, he needs to stay sharp for a fighter like Laura if he expects uh, to beat him. But, you know – Shout out to both guys because even though it wasn't the ending that we wanted, you look at both guys' eyes. They they wanted they wanted this fight, and they were both were very disappointed that it went the way it did. And I'm, I'm pretty sure they both uh, want the the third fight. Any other thoughts? No, the only thing I had in there is that you know sometimes you have those guys that you are kind of like looking past, and you think that you know this is a tune up fight for me. But the fighter that you're fighting, their style is going to be trouble for you. And by you not taking them as serious as you're supposed to, you make it matters worse. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Like Ali was thinking that with Ken Norton when they first fought. Ken Norton was unheralded. Like they really didn't know too much about Ken Norton until he gave Ali all type of trouble and fits and upset him in that first fight. Then that's when Ken Norton became Ken Norton. The other fighter that I'm thinking about in particular was Vernon Forrest when he was riding high off the Shane Mosley victory. And then he got caught up dealing with 
Ricardo Mayorga. Mayorga's style was just so tricky. It was like H-E-L-L for Vernon Forrest. Like, disregard, if Vernon Forrest fought at his best, that still was going to be a very difficult fight because he swings punches so wild. Wiscombe is much more technically sound, but that offbeat type of powerful puncher was just going to give him trouble anyway. And by him, he probably looked at that and was like, this guy's going to be easy to beat. And lo and behold, you know, he got upset. And I think that that's what kind of happened to um, Warrington. And like I said last week, Warrington, the other thing about Warrington too, I'm talking about Ali and, and Vernon Forrest were two extremely talented fighters. One might be the best heavyweight of all time. He's not talented like that. So you can't run the risk of, you know, being overconfident against, overconfident against pretty much anyone because at the very least, you're just going to make things difficult for yourself, let alone against a guy who has power. Like, that's the thing that it's going to give Warrington, you know, heck, is because of the fact that he can last some shots against uh, – Laura, but Laura just has that eraser, you know what I mean? And not even necessarily an eraser, it's just powerful. Like when he gets hit, it's going to like do some damage to him. And so that's just always going to be tricky for that young man. But no, good scrap, you know. Hopefully, uh, I just want to see Warrington at his best in that fight and let the best man win, you know. Now, anything else you got, Bill, as far as uh, those two combatants are concerned? I know, sir. So let's, let's go ahead and pick up on the undercard yesterday. Some people saying the greatest female fighter of all time, uh, definitely top two, top three when it comes to pound for pound women's boxing. You had the, uh, you know, the great Katie Taylor, you know, versus Jennifer Hahn. You know, they were fighting for the undisputed light weight championship. You know, that was at stake. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you checked the fight out. What do you think about uh, Katie's performance yesterday? Yeah, I checked it out. Um, Greatest all time, I'm not sure about that. But Katie Taylor, you, we are kind of witness greatness in a way uh, for women's boxing today. She's top, you know, two or three uh, pound for pound. You know, I would actually have her uh, number one or number two. I'll probably have Clarissa Shields number one, Katie Taylor number two. Or you can switch them either way. Or, but I have Katie Taylor coming in this fight 18-0 and 0 with six knockouts against Jennifer uh, Han. Uh, 18 and three with one knockout. Uh, There's a, a lightweight championship bout. I don't. It's not too many notable wins for Jennifer Hahn, but Katie Taylor's resume is interesting. You know, she has a win over Natasha Jonas, who was a, a fellow uh, Olympian. Uh, then she has a, a win over Cindy Serrano, and and the win that really like touched my that caught my eye was over uh, Jessica McCaskill, who is the current welterweight queen right now, which. I guess that win is looking better and better for Katie Taylor as time goes on. But the f- interesting, the first thing I, 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 I noticed about this fight was the atmosphere. I'm like, Ricky Hatton in the ring or something? I mean, these fans were like, whoa. I was like, wow. I mean, wow. So, but um, Katie Taylor, um, it, was, it was interesting to watch her in action. She, was, she did a great, excellent job of cutting the ring off and bringing that pressure to Jennifer Hahn. Um, and, and it's interesting because she was the pressure fighter. She would initiate the exchanges. Um, Jennifer Hahn, she, she wasn't – she was happy to be in those exchanges. She didn't seem like she didn't want to fight. 
But at the same time, she would allow Katie Taylor to, to just pressure her, you know, the entire fight. And over and over again, Taylor would just come in, throw her exchanges. Uh, Han would land her punches in those exchanges. Uh, maybe sometimes she would finish the combination. Sometimes, uh, normally, Taylor would, would end those exchanges and take a step back. And, or Han would take a step back, and over again, Taylor would just keep on pressuring her. And this went on the, the, the entire fight. And then, you know, of course, uh, Taylor knocked Han down in the eighth round, which I, I think that, you know, at that point, it was like Taylor was already, you know, dominating pretty much. And Han pretty much, she, she went and took a decision. But it wasn't like she just, you know, Jennifer Han was just running from Taylor Taylor. She was in those exchanges, and she came to fight. It's just that it wasn't enough, and and it wasn't she wasn't presenting enough that Taylor had to change anything from her game plan. Taylor just did the same thing over and over again, and it was just working. Um, but shots out to, to to Katie Taylor. It was a good win. Hopefully, she gets more of those fights that you know she wants. Um, lightweight is interesting. I, w- I want to see if she's willing to to move up and wait and see what happens there. But because really she's in a good spot as far as you look at the, uh, the the woman boxing landscape who's around those weight classes. She may have to you know go up or down, but at least they're around. Those names are around her her uh, natural weight. Yeah, I thought it was a good performance by Katie. You yeah. know, uh, she came out on the front foot, moving inside. She was applying consistent pressure, looking around high into shots. I just thought overall Katie had better technique, speed, power, you know, than Han. Uh, she landed the straighter punches, and then she occasionally landed that overhand right. Now, um, I think that Taylor, who has, I want to say she has six knockouts, I think that she could have more knockouts if she decided to, um, like, concentrate on that, like putting a little bit more hurt on her opponents. But the other thing, she could how she can get knockouts and she could have got a knockout yesterday if she was just a little bit meaner and, and what I mean by that is that um in the clinches like Han would turn her head and Taylor never took advantage of those opportunities because she's just nice like she's not going to um if her point's not looking she's not going to take advantage of that but guys like Canelo and Floyd They'll punch you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In that type of situation. But it's like fighters like Taylor, Shane Mosley comes to mind also. They just don't have that temperament, you know, in order to take advantage of their opponent in those type of situations. You know, Shane would come out, he touched gloves and all of that type of stuff. But I'm of the cloth of, you know, protect yourself at all times. You know I mean, you turn your back on me, I'm going ahead and go upside your head. But anyway, um, you know, I, I want to shout out Han because she was resilient. You know, she put up a good effort, nothing to hang her head about. Um, I thought that on the scorecards, I think you could have given her, like, the early rounds. She was doing just enough where it was close. And I think that she possibly could have got a round or two, especially within the first five rounds, because she was keeping a lot of space. And then she was occasionally landing a few shots, and she was, like, kind of mitigating what Katie wanted to do. And Katie seemed like she was a little bit um, trying to find her rhythm a little bit early, too. But... You're not going to get one or two rounds in leagues. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not in the UK. Like, they got to give her all of those things that are close. Um, and so, but she won a clear-cut decision. You know, like I say, shout out to her as well. 
what it looks like maybe next, which would be a burn burn. It looks like they're trying to angle her to face uh, Amanda Serrano. And I think that if they do, that that's going to be, like I say, a barn burner. And if I was her, I would not move. I would stay right there where I'm comfortable and let fighters come to me because she's the one who they are giving all the praise to. Like, Serrano has her uh, fan base, but not like um, Taylor. That fight is going to depend on a lot of things. My early prediction would be um, I would favor Taylor um, for a couple of reasons um, in that fight. But if Katie Taylor's going to be anybody in the U.K., like they fight in the UK, she's not gonna lose there, um, because they just they love her. You know what I mean? Um, but here, here's the thing that I think when I saw Serrano last week against Mercado, Serrano got some power, man. Like she really does, especially in that left hand. But the difference between the two, and then she has really good technique. This is gonna be some high level stuff. If those two, you know, go against each other, that's gonna be really high level competition. But why I favor Taylor is because she has more of a two-fisted attack than Serrano, although Serrano is very powerful. But really what Serrano is trying to do is he's mainly trying to set you up and line you up for that big left hand where Katie Taylor gets in there and she throws those combinations, those straight combinations. And the other thing is that Serrano doesn't punch when her opponent is throwing. So when Mercado was throwing back last week, she was stopped. And then she'll wait for her opportunity to throw. And she just was too powerful for Mikado. Um, and it was just evident. So, you know, she won a clear-cut decision last week as well. But just the way they go about having their business, I think that a decision is more likely for Katie Taylor, especially in those two-minute rounds. You know what I mean? Where, like, that combination punches that she does, those two-handed combinations, that's vital when you only have two rounds to work. And so I think that's the reason why I favor her over uh, the real deal, Serrano. Um, but again, Serrano, man, she got 30 KOs in those 41 victories. So she is, uh, you know, well capable of uh, winning that matchup as well. But like I say, just based on what I see, I had to do a little bit more studying to come up with my final prediction, but that's where I'm at right now as far as what I see. Um, anything else you got as far as that topic is concerned? Yeah, and I'm more interested in that fight. I'm, I'm gonna have to do my research into, into that to see to see how they match up. And one point you made, I 100 agree with. But 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 especially when it comes to Amanda Serrano, is don't don't move from any weight class. When it comes to Serrano, Katie Taylor should just stay where she at and let Serrano come to her because Serrano's already proven she can, you know, pretty much be Manny Pacquiao or the modern day <laughs> Armstrong for women's boxing. So you let someone like Serrano come to, to 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 you. I think that would be a bomb burner. Um, but yeah, man, hopefully that fight gets made. That that would actually that would be interesting. That will. I'm curious to see how that would change the landscape for women's boxing if that fight were made. Probably have that fight at the Garden. You know what I mean? But I think <laughs> I, I think that when um, Taylor fought Persone, uh, they fought at the Garden. I know the first fight was at the Garden, so she's not opposed to coming over here. You know, for those big matches. Yeah, and shout out to Katie Taylor. If you haven't seen her, check her out. I saw her fight with uh, Natasha Jonas. I, that's when I was like, wow, they, 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 they were really going for it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, uh, look it up on YouTube. It's there. But yeah, shouts out to her. And, and hopefully that fight with Amanda Serrano happens. That would be, that's a main event right there, you know, straight up. Okay. Uh, also on, on the card uh, last night, we had, 
uh, Connor Ben uh, versus Adrian Granados. Um, how do you think that fight? Uh, did you check that fight out, Will? If you did, what were your thoughts on it? I don't have much by, by this fight, uh, by way of this fight. Uh, but you had Connor Ben. Um, he moved to uh, 19 and over 12 KOs. He calls himself a destroyer. He's uh, fights very similar to his old man, Nigel Ben. I think he has a little less pop, but as far as the fighting style, he, he fights very similar. Granados is a tough, you know, hombre himself. He fell to 21-9-3 with 15 KOs. Connor Ben is a young man at, at 24 years of age. Now, uh, both guys are orthodox or work orthodox or are orthodox fighters. But I just saw this fight. It was a clear-cut victory for Ben. I, I don't think it was too much to talk about, not too much to write home about. When I see Ben's fighting style, you know, I don't want to be harsh on a young man. I think that if he can, I, I think that he probably would be better suited if he can make 140 because he's swimming with the Sharks if he's up there at 147, you know. And I think he doesn't look like he's strong enough or big enough for some of those those guys. Like a Boots Ennis and Virgil Ortiz, I don't see that ending well for him until he grows into the 147-pound division. But I think he's he's better suited for 140. Um, in a fight, like I said, it was just a clear-cut victory for um, Ben. And I think Granados may have won a round or two, but he boxed more. Um, I think he was talking real greasy in terms of, you know, wanting to slug it out. And he kind of threw Ben off as far as, um, you know, him having to, like, not, not necessarily chase him down, but kind of cut the ring off and, you know, do his, his work that way. And he was getting kind of frustrated, but at the same time, he was, you know, getting the points because he was just landing the more effective shots. Ben also needs to work on a jab. Like, he doesn't use a jab to get in. And if he does that, that would help him out a great deal against better uh, opposition. And the last thing I'm going to say is, like, right now, he just looks a little too easy to hit. And, again, if you fight those bigger welterweights, you know, that's, that's going to spell trouble. I think for him next – he probably, like, you know, I was saying, like, you know, if Virgil Ortiz or Boots Ennis, like, they were trying to position them to fight Robert Guerrero next. I think that Robert Guerrero, that would be a good fight for Ben as against somebody like Robert Guerrero for both guys. You know, so Guerrero can see where he is, and then, you know, Ben can get that experience against an experienced opponent. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I have in that fight. I mean, there wasn't really too much, like I said, to write home about. Um, I'm interested to see where Connor Ben goes from here, but um, a suggestion uh, for him, you know, and obviously you don't listen to somebody, uh, just anybody who gives a suggestion, but I think 140, he's better suited for 140. Yeah, I checked this fight out. Um, he brought up some, some great points, especially with the jab. I was curious how many jabs were even thrown in that fight because I didn't see a lot. I, I saw a lot of hooks. And I'm like, and Connor Ben, you know, he fights a lot like his father. But that's different. But what we're seeing is different between fighting like someone and actually being someone or having the mental makeup of someone. Um, yes, Nigel Ben was able to do a lot of things, but but a lot of it had to do with his mindset and, and who he was. He was a very, you know, high strung person. He went in that ring. He was very emotional, uh, and, and he, he, you know, he's one of those people that fed off that. And I don't think his son is is Connor Ben is, is really that guy. I think. I'm not saying he should change his style per se, but he should refine his his style a little bit and work on some things. He shouldn't try to to. It's almost like 
uh, one of Mike Tyson's son, you know, coming in the ring. He may, he may have the power of Mike Tyson or, or may have some, some, some of the same tools that Mike Tyson had, but he doesn't have the same mentality. And, 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 and of course, boxing is like, what, 80 to 90% mental. And I think his mind, Conor Ben's mindset is just different. So he should tailor his style to his, his mental to makeup. Um, but as you said, it wasn't too much to, to, to ride home ride home with in this fight. As to should he stay at 147, I'm not sure. Of course, he is better suited for 140. If he's able to, to compete, if, he, if he's able to show me something more, I would say, yeah, he could be at 147. But like, up to this point, he hasn't shown me, like, he can really hang with the top guys. And, and you know what? I'm just, I'm just some guy on a podcast. He can prove me wrong. And I love being proved wrong. So, you know, shouts out to him. But he got the victory. He did what he had to do against Adrian Granados, who was a good, you know, step up and a step up type of opponent. Uh, Granados can take it to you if you if you're not careful, which Adrian Broner almost found out, you know, pretty much. But yeah, as you said, he he need to work on his jab a little bit, uh, and I, I think he should just not stop trying to to, to be his father. And I don't want to say that not that senior shouldn't be involved in his son's career because that's the son. But I, but I think Senior is, is smart enough to know that, that that style should probably be refined for him, and it may not work the best for him at this present time. Any other thoughts? Yeah, he's, he's 24, so he got a lot more work that he can do and he can develop, you know, more wrinkles into his game. Um, and that could be the base of his style. And then if he fights other people, that he can show other things, you know, to get the victory against those guys if he has those those tools. You know, if he if he has that type of type of talent, it's just hard to tell right now. And he's so young, you know what I mean. So I, I don't want to, um, you know, make it seem like he he's incapable. I just don't know, just based on what I see right now. But what you were saying as far as him fighting like his father, you're right. He's just missing. It's, it's, it's an inner, like, it's hard to reduplicate the original. And, you know, because you can do it. Like, you can, it's like people trying to do Floyd Mayweather shoulder roll. That's something that comes natural to him. You know what I mean? It's like something that he's kind of born to do. And But you trying to imitate it, it's going to be slightly different because, well, it's going to be a lot different because you just don't have that innate ability. Um, and then, the, like, the physical attributes all those things split factor but with him it's going to be the tenacity he just doesn't have the same tenacity as his dad you know what i mean and that's his father had that style because of the tenacity that he had um it's, it reminds me kind of like chris eubank is, is kind of similar even though he's a little bit meaner i would say than ben but you know those guys you know they learn a lot i'm sure they just you know you study so much film he probably was going to the fights when he was a baby and all of that type of stuff so you know, he always wanted to do that when he entered the ring to emulate that style. But, you know, we'll see where he goes from here. All right, so then also we got another card that's going to come next week. I want to say it's Sunday. Um, Victor Belfort has a, another opponent, you know, a last-minute opponent and the real deal for Xander Holyfield because Oscar De La Hoya, he's looking like he suffered some mean uh, symptoms from COVID-19, he was in a hospital, so he's out, and, you know, in comes Evander Holyfield for next week's main event. Uh, what do you think about that fight card, you know, that they have uh, coming up next week? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, hopefully that, you know, 
I still hope it recovers. You know, but that's a that's a a, a, a huge change of, of opponent like a, like a week before from Dale Hoya to to Evander Holyfield. Uh, now I don't know how much uh, Dale Hoya was weighing, but uh, Evander Holyfield is a straight up heavyweight at this point, and I know he's a lot older, but that's a different type of a uh, fight. That's a different type of preparation. If I was Victor Belfort, I would I would. Not so much be concerned, well, I, I had to think that one through. Um, like, for example, like, for like, I know people may laugh at me and say, Oh, it's Vander Holyfield, he's old, but look, look at this way. I mean, would you get in the ring with Mike Tyson? I mean, and, and, and of course, Mike Tyson has these physical talents, but we look at mental makeup and, and someone who just refuses to lose, no matter how much you beat them and keep coming. That's a Vander Holyfield, Vander Holyfield. Scares me personally than Mike Tyson because he's one of those guys who puts on that nice face, but he has something about him that just you can't duplicate. And, and, and he's not going to play nice in that ring. He's one of those guys who just likes to fight. He's born to do it. He's not someone who does it for a paycheck or anything like that. He's just born to do it and wants to do it. And that kind of that kind of scares me about him, especially about him being an opponent, a last minute opponent for anyone, you know. But uh, and look like we'll actually be on Triller. So maybe I might see Snoop Dogg in there in the mix somewhere, you know, commentating. You know, as for what, what would happen in this fight, I, I can't say it's hard to, it's been hard to predict these type of fights lately, these exhibitionist style fights. It's kind of hard, even if they're official, it's kind of hard, you know, because we don't know how they're going to show up. We don't know how Victor Belvoir, what, what he's done as far as boxing training and, and like who he's trained with and how he's going to fight when he, once he gets in that ring. It's just different. Because on paper, when you put Tyron Woodley in a, in a fight with Jake Paul, you should be able to win, you know. So, who knows? And, and, and you know, and then we're dealing with, yeah, we, 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 I've talked Holyfield up, but again, he's also 58 years old. So, we don't know what he's going to look like when he gets in that ring. It's interesting to watch, but, you know, again, I'm not the target audience for it. So. Right. Yeah, it's a couple of things that you got to take into consideration. We don't know what the rules are uh, for this bout either. Um, and a couple other uh, variables is, you know, is has Holyfield been training, you know what I mean, for this fight? And now he may have been because I really thought Holyfield was supposed to fight Kevin McBride because they had a press conference and everything about that. And so he doesn't seem like the type to – not really be in some type of shape. I don't know if he's in, like, fighting shape, and that's a pretty quick turnaround to be getting in a fighting shape. If he's in any kind of shape, then he's going to... And if they're fighting, like, really just regular fight, then uh, I think that Belfort might get hurt. Because what I saw, um, he's only 1-0 and with one KO. He's a southpaw. And they had, like, a side-by-side of him and Oscar. And Oscar... He just looked so much more fluid. You know what I mean? Like with his movements, I feel like he was in some really good shape as well. And then I saw Victor uh, Belfort. Like he had a nice one too, but it just looked so stiff. You know what I'm saying? So I just think MMA guys, they can't beat like serious fighters, like serious older fighters or somebody who's on the come up who's really taking boxing seriously. I think that you have to favor those type of fighters over MMA guys because they just been doing a different craft, you know, for so long. And boxing is not something you can just, like that muscle memory and everything is just, it's, it's real. 
Um, but if Holyfield is, is half as good as what Mike looked like when he fought Roy Jones, then I think it's going to be curtains for uh, Belfort, man, like really, to be honest with you. Because like you said, like Holyfield, that sounds cliche, but man, that dude like had that heart and that chin. You know, that was like two of his biggest attributes. And then you factor in his end fighting ability because he used to get close to rough up those bigger guys and where they weren't typically comfortable and you know he'd have his way with those those guys so i can just imagine somebody who really isn't a fighter and he's on there in there doing those um tactics to rough up belfort but you know you also got a factor in holyfield is damn near 60 you know what i'm saying so who knows? But I still would have to favor a real deal in this one. Um, but I'm looking forward to not only the fight, but, you know, see what Snoop Dogg got in store for us next week. Yeah, you made an excellent point again. Uh, and, and I'm going to re-clarify your statement. And so so listeners have heard clearly, uh, an MMA guy should not be able to be a dedicated boxer. Seriously, we, we're not saying, he's not saying that an MMA guy shouldn't be able to be the boxer. It can happen because a lot of boxes aren't. It's just many boxes that aren't serious. They're just there to collect the paycheck or whatever, and they, or they halfway train. And and, I, and I, I've seen top tier guys who you know walk in the ring and not serious about what they're doing. You know, you know probably later in their career. But well, you know, we t- if you're talking somebody that's serious about their craft, and taking it seriously, who's not, who don't want to be in there to play with. These are different sports, just like. James Tony found out when he got in, in the MMA ring with someone who took it seriously. You see how quick that that was over, and, and James Tony never got in the MMA ring again. So, but shouts out to Victor Belfort for having the heart to to do that, you know. But again, I mean, looking at a De La Hoya, first you in the ring with De La Hoya, and of course De La Hoya has that left hook. It's just like, I mean, I don't see that left hook go. It's not the type of punch. For him, it just goes away. It's so natural for him man, that no matter how old Delahoy would get, I'll be looking out for that punch. <laughs> but I was in a fight with Delahoy. But you switch from that to yeah, again, Banner Holyfield, which is just totally different, and, and even the mentality is a little different. So I, I think that see with, with Delahoy, based on what I was saying, Delahoy was just gonna be eating him up, like as far as just the amount of punches that he's gonna be getting hit with in the rapid fashion that he was going to be getting hit. And then on top of that, that left hook is mean. But Holyfield is going to be pounding on you. And, you know, those shots going to be more thudding and, you know, just the physical wear and tear of that bigger guy is just going. And, and Holyfield, he's like Warrington with that hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to do whatever it is he has to do to get in close and make things tough for you. So, um, you know, either way, you know, you just got to choose your poison, like, how you want it. Uh, only thing, though, the other thing that I was going to say, it's always an exception to the rule, right? We say that serious fighters should be MMA guys, and that's just typically how it works, with the exception of Julio Cesar Chavez. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's going to get beat by Anderson Silva. But I think that also, <laughs> that, that also goes into our theory because we use the quote-unquote words serious fighters. Right. We know that Chuck Chavez has a tendency not to take the sport serious enough. And throw that junior on there, so junior. We talk about junior. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, I'm going to let you cook on that topic, man, of the the Jeanette, um, Sakari, and Zapata, you know, the unfortunate incident 
um, that took place. Last, I, I want to say the fight happened last week, but I know that she her untimely demise happened. Um, I want to say yesterday, or the day before yesterday. You want to speak about that, um, so I'm gonna let you have a floor to do that. Yeah, um, I don't know if you if you follow boxing or you haven't heard. And even when I when I uh, turn on the internet, I see you know uh, news of Mexican boxer Jeanette as the Kari Zapata. You know she was stopped in her fight. Uh, I believe it was with uh, Marie uh, Pierre. Uh, I can't no, Marie Pierre Holy. I know I messed her name up. But this fight happened last week. Pretty much, I saw clips of the fight. Uh, Zapata, she was stopped in, uh, in uh, I believe, it was the end of the fourth round or in the third or fourth round. She took a, a, a some, some some interesting combination. Took a punch in in the, in the end of the round, which staggered her a little bit, and she and she tried to walk to the corner, and she collapsed and had a seizure. So fast four or five days later, she well, she ended up in a uh, medically induced coma uh, with her family by her bedside. She was listening in stable but critical condition. But five days later, they made the, the family made a decision to, you know, let her go, and she passed on. Um, now thinking of uh, this fight, it was it was many many thoughts that, that that I've had, and even how it's been presented, you know. This is a, a boxer that had, you know, her whole career ahead of her, her whole, not even her whole career, her whole life. You know, she was 18 years old. She was, and, and it, it wasn't until I saw the, the, the report that I noticed that she is, that she's a teenager, basically. You know, she's 18, you know. And, and we, it's just how we look at when fighters normally turn pro about 18 to 20 years old. But we forget how young they actually are. They, they haven't even started to even live life yet, you know. So she's 18 years old. She has a family. She she was married, and it was a very unfortunate situation. And, and it, it made me think of, of, of a lot of thoughts regarding how boxes manage, not from a, a safety standpoint. Of course, this this does bring up the, the question of safety. I'm also thinking about things like uh, insurance for boxers, health insurance, uh, possible unions for uh, for boxers, because. This is a person that probably died in a fight that she probably got paid a couple grand for, you know. And for me, it's, it's something wrong with that. And I know we we all boxing fans. We watch boxing. It's a brutal sport, um, and that's something I'm, I'm that of course I'm always conf- conflicted with. But I'm I still going to enjoy boxing. But at the same time, there's always the other side. When when things like this do happen, like how do we mitigate it? Like even now you. Of course, we, we it always brings up the questions again of the safety and, and referees checking on fights and and uh, make sure that fighters pass medical exam. But also think about fighters' family because in, in the end of the day, they do this to feed their family. And, and we're talking that people are dying for a couple grand, you know, and they don't even have the insurance to get themselves buried. So um, it makes you think about a lot of that stuff. And then there's other facts like, you know, she was coming off a, a knockout. She's been knocked out. Uh, of her of, of Zapata's four losses, she was knocked out three times. She only had like maybe six fights in total. She was, I think, it was two and four, uh, with, and she was knocked out three times. But she was coming off a knockout loss, probably about three three months some change ago. You know, which I saw that fight too, and and I, even clips from that fight is kind of you know that's a brutal loss. I think she should have taken some time off. Somebody should have been there to really look after her and examine her. So when we look at the, the fight that she's in, she was woozy after that, that fourth round. She just didn't look right. And you can tell that something just wasn't right. 
but it's a, it's a sad situation. There's nothing we can say that can that can make it positive, you know. And and prayers to her, prayers to her, to the family. Hopefully, this this brings up some questions and, and brings up things that we can do to, to to better the sport. I don't know if you have any thoughts to share on that. I know that you, you, uh, that, that kind of touched you, and I, I wanted you to be able to um, share out your, your thoughts. Um, the only thing that I would say, because the only thing that I was going to say is you, you hit you hit it, and, and I'll um, mention it. But um, one thing that wasn't stated was now I'm more appreciative of the two-minute uh, rounds that women boxing have. You know, at first I felt like it was too quick. But at the same time, I think that that's, you know, kind of guarding um, or should I say it's kind of um, helping to create, you know, a safety um, factor, a safety layer, you know, in the sport. Because the longer the rounds go, you know, the more punishment, you know, fighters tend to take because they get a little bit more fatigue. And so, you know, with that being said, you get a little bit more of a sitting target and you can take more punishment to the head. A couple of things that you mentioned as far as her, I saw the other fight also. It was in May when she was brutally KO'd. That, the fight that she got brutally KO'd in in May, she took more punishment in that fight than she did in the fight when she actually ended up dying. Um, that was a brutal KO. And again, what I recall them saying, I remember Roy Jones did the same thing, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, when he fought Glenn Johnson after being brutally KO'd by Antonio Tarver, they were saying that fighters should take four to six. They shouldn't even get in the ring for like four to six months because you have to allow your cranium to recover. And that's the amount of time that's necessary um, to be able to do that. Then you can resume, you know, training and stuff like that afterwards. But you shouldn't do anything that's going to, you know, cause any damage to your head. And for her to get back in the ring that quickly, you know, I think that management, you know, you have to really take care of your possession, your prize possession, which is a fighter. Like You have to do that. And then also these commissions need to look at that as well. And I think that they need to be all on board. Um, the commission, you know, even if you let the fighter fight after like four to six months, understanding that the last fight that they had was a brutal KO law. So you don't want to allow them any extra unnecessary punishment. And so everybody has to be on the same page as opposed to just getting these fighters in the ring and trying to make a dollar. You know, it's an unfortunate situation. And I, I, you know, I hate to say this, but she also, they had to think about her in terms of her best interest, because if you look, I'm trying to be kind when I say this, I don't think that she really, I don't know how far she could have gone in a sport. Like, as far as, like, she really wasn't, they should have never put her in that situation. Because right. just just based on, like, it's only a certain skill level that she was capable of getting to. And it shouldn't have gotten to that point for them to let her go out like that before somebody put a halt to um, and ask and, and try to, you know, persuade her to find another way to earn a living. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you touched on something too uh, in your last comment. Yeah, her her skill level. And I'm not going to ride on her, you know, uh, because she's someone who isn't here with us. And this probably was her passion. 
but she should have had someone refining her skill a little bit more. Even after those losses, when someone's getting KO'd back to back, there comes a time where it's like the people around you, they need to do what they can to, to, to refine your style and, 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 and work on some things. Because when I look at how she was fighting, it, it, it was just, you know, unless she had, unless she was just one of those people who had a, you know, a tough chin or whatever, a hard chin, which, which she really didn't, she was going to take a lot of punishment anyway. And no one should be put in the ring just to take punishment. And, uh, so it was a sad, com- it was a sad combination, you know, sad course of events, but, you know, prayers to her family. So moving right along. There was a fight that's happening this Friday, which which was almost called off. The super featherweight fight between Oscar Valdez and Robson Pensasayo. If you haven't heard Oscar Valdez, he tested positive for uh, fitterine. Uh What are your thoughts on that, Will? I'm, I'm disappointed in um, Oscar Valdez. I, I actually put him on my top ten pound for pound rankings after his uh, KO victory over uh, show. And you know, you know, speaking about fighters who like sustain head injuries or even worse, like the situation with the young lady this week. To me, like fighters who test positive for PEDs, they should be like stiff, stiff penalties. I'll get to that. Um, I'll, I'll go over as far as my predictions and everything for the fight or the breakdown of the fight. So let me start there. But again, this is an unfortunate situation. I'm disappointed in a WBC for even allowing this fight to happen. But let me go through each fighter, uh, what they bring to the table. So you got Oscar Valdez. He's 30 years old. He's 20 with 23 knockouts, 5'5 and a half, 66-inch reach. He's going against Robson. Um, I, I want to say it's Seixal. Um, he's a Brazilian. 16-0, 8 KOs. He's also orthodox. He's tall, 5'11 and a, I mean 5'10, almost 5'11. 70-inch reach. Um, again, Valdez is coming off the Miguel Burchette-Shelt KO in February, um, February 20th of this year. And then Consequiao, his last fight was against Jesus Antonio Ahumada in April of 2021 when he scored a seventh-round KO victory. Valdez, um, he's known for his aggressive fighting style, punching power, and terrific combination punching. Um, he also added in a new wrinkle last fight against Brichot, uh, showing off tremendous boxing skill and technique en route to that 10th round one-punch KO victory um, last year. Um, Kasekiao, he many people believe he, he lost to Luis uh, Correa um, two fights ago in 2020 and his 10-round decision victory. That was on the, um, the New Way and Mahoney uh, undercard. Now, with him, uh, he has an amateur record of 405 with 15 uh, losses. And in 2016, he became uh, the first Brazilian fighter to ever win a gold medal in boxing. Also, you got to factor in these guys uh, know each other because um, – can say Kiao holds a victory over Oscar Valdez in the amateurs, you know, although that was 10 years ago in the Pan Am games in Mexico, but he does hold that victory. So this is another reason why Valdez wanted um, to have this fight is to um, redeem himself from that loss that enabled uh, Can say Kiao to get that medal um, in the Pan Am games. Now, as you alluded to, this fight, 
to me, really, it shouldn't be taking place um, in the first place. I, I'll get to that. I, I'm so disappointed. You know what I mean? It, and I don't even like Valdez's excuse, but let me go ahead and um, go through uh, Kaseki out. Um, now, when I looked at him and I studied his, his, his technique, um, he has a very unique, peculiar fighting style. You know, he throws wide shots, but then he also mixes, mixes it in with long straight shots. You know, he looks vulnerable to someone who can time him in between those wide shots. Um, but also when he's not shooting punches, he has pretty good hand movement, um, but that's when he's not throwing punches. Now, as far as um, the fight itself, like I said, this fight shouldn't be taking place because what you alluded to, Oscar, you know, his A and B samples came back dirty for PEDs. And like I say, to me, if they're going to allow this fight to proceed, the WBC might as well not test fighters um, who are fighting for their belt. Like, they just might, might as well not do drug testing if they're going to let this fight take place. You know, at the very least, he should be suspended for like a year or so, you know. But if not, you know, I think that the outcome of this fight is going to be um, Baldez, he'll, he'll win by stoppage, you know, mainly because, you know, Kaseikiao, I think that he'll be open for counters. Um, and then Oscar hits too hard, you know, for Kaseikiao. When I saw him fight against Carrera, he was getting uh, hurt a little bit. And then also you factor in possible remnants of the PED still being in, in, in Baldez's system. And then I also don't think that Kaseikiao hits hard enough, you know, to get Oscar's respect. Um, and then the last thing is it just doesn't seem like he's used to going 12 because he started looking a little bit gassed against Correa and they went 10 rounds. And then the other fights that I've seen him, um, like when I look at his box rep, he used to fight like eight round fights. So I just think all in all, it's going to be a victory for Oscar Valdez in a fight that to me shouldn't be happening. Yeah, you're right. This fight should not be, ha- be happening. I'm, I'm very disappointed with Oscar Valdez as someone. I was like, he was, he was, uh, He's about to become like one of the, the, the best inspirations of the year. That's all being tarnished right now. But I'm also disappointed with, you know, the WBC because WBC president, you know, Mauricio Salomon stated that Valdez won't be stripped, number one. And he, number two, he won't face any punishment for uh, failing the, the, the test despite, yeah, despite that he failed for the test, you know. And, you know, it's just, it's just a bad situation. And I'm like, what message is that putting out there that the WBC doesn't want to do anything, doesn't want to punish him at all, and it's like we're going to go throughout through this fight regardless. You know, they they didn't t- they could have taken a stance, and even when you look at uh, promoters, it's like no one does anything. You know, it's just like whatever. You know, and, and he fails his test, and that's that. Um, and it's like he, you know, he, I get, my take is he was trying to make weight for this fight, so he's probably having trouble. Was like, how heavy are you walking around? Like, he's a short, super featherweight. He's not that tall. He's probably the same height as Tank. Uh, of course, he does have a build, but like, how heavy are you walking around? Like, is it lack of discipline, what have you? Or, or what's the issue? Uh, and, and just the whole, uh, he's saying that I just didn't do it. His answer is that, and what he's sticking to is I didn't do it, but the proof is like in, in the blood. It's saying that. You failed the test. This is what you test positive with. So it, it's uh, and I and you know what? I wish Danny was here to get his take on it, since you know he he's a person who actually gets in the ring with people and, and you know takes punches. You know, 
just, just like our last topic, we just got done talking about someone who, who died in the ring, and now you have someone who's making it worse. And, that, and, that, and this even changes my perspective on things because my perspective used to be this. Either no one does it or you just let it fly and everyone can do it, you know? But, I mean, what, what, at what cost? Like, do, you re- do we really want to see people die in the ring? Like, is that worth is – entertain- is that entertainment to us, you know, for that reason? Like, especially something that can be prevented, like PEDs or something like that. I can understand if it's just, you know, someone just has to be stronger or naturally or have, have natural ability that uh, produces a result like that. But, you know, do we really want to allow people to take drugs and, you know, pee, all these PEDs get in the ring and now someone's hurt and someone doesn't come back to their family because they got in the ring with someone who had extra help? And, like, do we really want that? Do we really want to watch that? What message is that sending? It's like, do I, I have to think about, do I really want to tune into this fight? I'll probably watch it, but if something bad happens, I will feel very guilty and responsible for it because I tuned in for my entertainment to watch something like this happen, knowing that, you know, someone was, was, was on, a, uh, an opponent was on a PED. So it's, it's, a, it's a bad situation. It's, it's, it's interesting how a lot of these boxing organizations they, they, they do some good in trying to reduce the number of belts, and someone will do good in, like, ordering fights, just like they're, they're trying to, to order the Sean Porter versus Terrence Crawford fight. So they do some good, but then they do the, a lot of bad, which is stuff like this, which is basically, they basically publicly said, we are not going to punish this fighter. They didn't even lie about it. That's, that's the thing that gets me. It's like somebody that cheats on you and they tell you, I'm cheating on you, but I'm going to keep on doing it. What you going to do about it? It's like a bad situation. I hate the, 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 the maybe I should have rethought how we end this episode because we ended off a, a note of, of, you know, PDs and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's a very bad situation, but it is what it is. It's something we have to look at as far as the sport that we, we love to follow. <laughs> Any thoughts you have to want to add to that? Yeah, man, I think it's it's real. Like it's a real situation. You can't um like act like it's not taking place. And it's unfortunate. Like the main thing is just fighter safety, man. Like you really are not you don't care. And like that's a big thing. Like you don't want to be at an unfair advantage against somebody in any sport that you participate in, but let alone a, a fight a, a sport where the main objective is to hit guys upside the head. And you let somebody, you know, test positive for performance enhancing drug, we already having issues. And this is like right on the cusp of the young lady passing away, right? Like it's just it's it's horrible. It's a horrible situation. The other thing is I feel bad for Miguel Brashow because he just got caught now. I'm not sure if he wasn't doing something in that fight, because to me, going into that fight, I was wondering how he was going to be able to keep Rochelle off of him because he never looked like he had the ability to do that before at the smaller weight. So I'm like, Rochelle is like a big 130-pound fighter. Like, how is he going to keep him off? He's going to have any power enough to, like, get his respect. And he checked all of those boxes with flying colors. So now it's like, I got to, like, question whether or not that was real. And now, Rochelle, after a fight like that, I doubt if he'll ever be the same. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm thinking about all type of things and also his camp you know canelo you know what i'm saying people were questioning whether or not ryan garcia was using peds you know the fact that he started to have so much pop in his punches that he didn't have in the amateurs 
you know, now you got Oscar Valdez testing positive. And they just now are just moving a goalposts on situations like this where, you know, in the past, if a person tests positive, that's it. Like, you suspend it, you know, belts, you know, you, you had to give up your belt. Like, that's what it should be. They should move somebody else in. Can Sankey out? Should he find somebody else, you know, for a belt or something like that? And he should be suspended. It's like COVID-19 now, right? Like, before, it was all of these different uh, mitigation factors or guidelines that you have to follow. If somebody tests positive, like, if you're in a workplace, like, now, contact tracing is nowhere near what it was before. Now it's like, if you were around a person for 15 minutes, if you're, uh, then you're okay. You don't have to uh, quarantine. If um, Also, now, uh, if you're vaccinated and you're around somebody, you know, for an extended period of time, you don't have the quarantine. Just monitor your uh, results or monitor your, your symptoms. And it's like, dog, I got vaccinated, but I'm not, like, vaccinated for the dang on Delta variant, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or these new mutations that they have out here, you don't care anything about me, and that's the, what the sport of boxing is doing now. Like, they don't care anything about these fights, especially the WBC. This is horrible, man. Anything else you got before we wrap things up, you know? Um, I appreciate the conversation, man. It really detailed. Um, I think we cover, you know, different topics this week, and, and, and they were needed, you know, to, to be discussed. Absolutely. Yeah, I got nothing else. All right, so next week, man, we should be back. You know, the three amigos will be recapping fights and, and, and um, talking about the most important affairs that happened this upcoming week. You know, again, hopefully you enjoy the, the episode. Also, you know, make sure you follow us on, on social media. We'll be putting some segments on there as well. You all have a great Monday. Peace. Peace.